If you're here for the first time, welcome. My name's Mark. I serve on the pastoral staff here. I'm the teaching pastor. And um, we are, we've been in a long series in Romans. We're actually taking a two-week break from that. We'll come back to it uh, after next week. Today, we have a special message that's related to our member meeting. And then next Sunday being Mother's Day, uh, Vince will be speaking from Proverbs 31. And then two weeks from today, we'll be in Romans 14. I love Sundays. I love the church. I was just telling Caroline, when I was in college and I was getting excited about serving the Lord, I was in, in InterVarsity. And um, I was starting to grow. And then as, as part of that, then I started going to Arcata First Baptist Church right on the edge of our college campus. And that was when um, my life really began to, to, to accelerate in knowing and loving Jesus Christ. And that's when I fell in love with the church. And so I'm just excited to... I love Sundays, and I love being able to be together. And um, this particular Sunday, well, every Sunday is great because we're celebrating Jesus Christ isn't dead. He's alive. He is risen. He's the Lord of this church. He is our king. He is present amongst us by his spirit, and he's, he's coming back. So we're uh, just, Sundays are great. So this morning, I want, want you to hear the text Uh, The first 11 verses of the first chapter of the prophet Haggai. We're going to hear the text. I'm going to pray and then I'll explain a little bit about uh, why we're doing this particular message. If you're not sure how to find Haggai, you can go to Matthew, make a left, and three books back is the prophet Haggai. It's just two chapters, so it's easy to to skip over there. It's um, in between the Z brothers, Zephaniah and Zechariah, so that's how you can find Haggai. So Amy Murphy is going to read... Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 to 11 for us this morning. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Thank you, Amy. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, these words that we've just heard repeatedly describe you speaking. 
speaking to your people. Thus says the Lord, you are the living God. You are the God who speaks to your people. You're the God who dwells amongst your people. And as members of the body of Christ this morning, we pray that you would give us ears to hear because you are still speaking. This is a prophetic word empowered by the Holy Spirit. These are living words. We pray through these words, Christ would be exalted. We pray through these words, your priorities would be extended and embraced amongst us. We pray through these words, we might bear much fruit as your disciples. Give us ears to hear the word of the Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I want to just explain a little bit about why we're doing this, this particular message. It's, it's uh, intended to connect with our member meeting. And uh, as uh, Emily said earlier, today is our member meeting. So if you haven't been to one, you really want to come because these meetings are amazing. We pull out all the stops at our member meetings. And so today we're going to be talking about our plans to have driverless cars to bring you to church. <laughs> right? That's the first thing. And, and then the second thing is, we also, we've got a new program that we're developing to have drones deliver meals to families that are in need. And that's just the beginning of the incredible, amazing things that we have. Big reveals. No, actually, we don't do that kind of stuff at our member meetings. We're not a flashy bunch here. We believe passionately that Christ's authority, Christ's presence, Christ's gifts rest upon the whole congregation of every local church. This one, obviously, being the one we're talking about here. And so we believe that Christ is present ruling and expressing his kingdom, not just through a little group in the church, not just through the leaders or the elders, but through the whole church, members and elders alike. And so these member meetings are opportunities for us to get together and talk about how Christ is at work amongst us. These are great opportunities for us to stop and remember why we do what we do. And so this morning, we want to talk in this message about our priorities. Recently, I'm in this men's Bible study called Simeon Trust, and um, there's about 20 guys in three different groups, and we uh, have been studying for a year and a half or so together, and we came, we're in the Old Testament prophets a couple months ago, and we came to this passage. This was our Bible study, and as we were working through Haggai 1, 1 to 11, we began to just to talk about, hey, wouldn't this be great if this was something that we could talk about together as a church because it's such a wonderful, uh, inspiring way to, to, to think about and embrace God's priorities for us, not just as individuals, but as a congregation. And so that's, that's when I decided, hey, this would be a, a great opportunity to bring this message into this particular meeting. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a member of our church doesn't matter. This, this message can be greatly helpful to any Christian because it's speaking of God's priorities for any member of the body of Christ. If you're not a Christian, this will help you understand 
the complete reorientation that comes to people who come to follow God. So that's the background to the message. Now let me set up Haggai 1 for you with this. I want to just, I want to, I want to propose a theory, okay? Here's my theory. More stuff makes for a better life, okay? That's my theory. I just want to just put that hypothesis out there. So more cars, newer cars, food, education, entertainment, vacations. The more of this you get and the better quality that you get, you're going to have a better life. You're going to be happier, more satisfied. I say this because I am constantly told this. I was told this week that if I drink this particular brand of hard seltzer, I would experience moments of pure refreshment and I would enjoy a life without compromise. I was told this. Why wouldn't I believe this? I was told that if I buy this particular car right now, I can have fun all summer and that's going to include happy graduations, grandchildren named after me, and everybody smiling. So, man, that's more stuff must make for a better life because people keep telling me this. So, if that's true, let's play this out one more step. That means if we could find the people with the most stuff then we're going to find the happiest people on earth, right? The most satisfied, fulfilled people are going to be the people with the most wealth. So, where do we find them? Well, if you make $32,000 a year, that maybe doesn't feel like very much in Fairfax County. But if you look around the world at the billions of people that live in the world, if you make $32,000 a year, where do you suppose that puts you worldwide? You're a one percenter. In the world, if you make $32,000, you're first in line. If you make $60,000, you're not a one percenter. You're a 0.2 percenter. Line up 1,000 people, you're second in line. So what that means is most people in our area are one percenters or one-tenth of one percenters or something like that. Now, I understand not everybody here, not everybody in this area lives like that. And I understand the cost of living is higher, because incomes are higher and so on. We might not feel rich, but by world standards, the reality is people that live in this area are the wealthiest in the world. So if my theory is true, what does that mean? Here's what's going to happen tomorrow. When you walk into school or work, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find the happiest, most satisfied and fulfilled people on earth. And that's what happens, isn't it? You're going to walk in tomorrow and you say, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing awesome. (laughs) It's another day in paradise. And I don't mean that sarcastically. I mean it. How could I be happier? Look at all the stuff I've got. But we all know that's not how it works, is it? A long time ago, the Rolling Stones sang, I can't get no satisfaction. And they're still singing it. And it's still true, right? Because you can have the goods and not have the good life. 
Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. Do you know who Jesus says are the happiest, most satisfied people on earth? The poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The satisfied life, the good life, where does it come from? It doesn't come from how much you have. It comes from having the right priorities. This passage of Scripture brings us to a group of God's people. They got off to a great start, and then they lost their way. Their priorities got misplaced. And so what happens? The prophet comes. The prophetic word disrupts their complacency because God loves his people too much to leave them in that place. So here is hope this morning for any person who's lost their way. Here is wisdom this morning for anybody who's just getting started in the Christian life. Here is an opportunity for all of us to consider our lives. What time is it? This is an opportunity to to consider our priorities. So just want to work through the text in two points and then we'll do some application. First is just consider your lives. Consider your lives. That's the call. That's the call from the prophet. He says, consider your ways. Consider your ways. What time is it? He's asking these people. Now, you know, recently there was this terrible, tragic uh, fire in the cathedral of Notre Dame, right? Devastating fire. Priceless cathedral and precious sacred space. It's estimated, the last I saw, it's going to be something like $5 billion to rebuild. The president of France is saying, we need to do this in five years because of the Olympics in 2024. So what would happen if, if we came back in 15 years? What would happen if we came back in the year 2034 and Notre Dame still looked just like this? No progress. Well, that would be a picture of what's happened in Jerusalem in this passage. We've got to go way back in time. 538 B.C., Israel's in exile in Babylon because of their disobedience to God. Cyrus, this new king, comes into power, and he sends Jewish people, other groups of people too, but particularly for the Jewish people, he says, you can go back to Jerusalem, and I want you to rebuild your temple. I want you to restart your religion there. And so this group of people that goes back, these are the right people. These are the people who aren't complacent. They don't want to stay in Babylon. They take that dangerous, arduous journey. They go back to Jerusalem, and in 536, they get started rebuilding the temple. But then opposition, struggle, It's expensive. There's lots of things to do. They have to start businesses. They have to replant crops. They have to rebuild their houses. And so they delay, and that delay turns into procrastination. And there's a subtle shift in priorities, and excuses begin to arise that are are relieved by this sort of conventional wisdom. Is it a time for you yourself to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Well, they've said it is that time because we're too busy. We just can't do this right now. So they've lost their way. They've lost their joy, and 16 years have gone by, no progress. So what happens? What happens is God sends a prophet, Haggai. For the first time since the exile, a prophet speaks. 
He's joined by the prophet Zechariah and will later be joined by Malachi. Ezra is raised up, the priest, Nehemiah, the governor, and they come to work on this big rebuilding project in Jerusalem. But I love how the prophet comes and the people are saying, hey, it isn't time to rebuild the house. We've got other stuff we've got to work on. And the prophet comes with just one simple question. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? Spend a lot of time at Home Depot, aren't you? Well, this house lies in ruins. What time is it? There's a prophetic question followed by a prophetic invitation. He then says, consider your ways. He says, just look around at your life. Just think about the life that you're living. You You sow much into the ground, but you're not getting much harvest. You're eating, you're drinking, you're never satisfied. It's like you're you're on like a treadmill. You're busy, but you're not making any progress. Your paycheck, I love this phrase, he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. You know, I was thinking about a story I read recently. The inflation rate in Venezuela is, I don't even know what it is, it's so high. The, The money in Venezuela is worth so little, they are now actually using the paper money to make purses and other items. I think we have a a, a picture of one of these purses. Do we have that? And and so the, the idea is that you're just pouring your money into a purse with holes. You're not getting anything out of it. So what's happening here? What's happening is God is awesome. That's what's happening, and he's not going to let things stay the way they are. God knows the excuses that defeat his plans, and so he comes in and he speaks to this excuse, the time isn't right, we've got too many other things to do right now. And he loves these people so much that he says, I'm going to communicate with them through my prophet. I'm not going to just write them off in judgment. I'm not going to just be silent. God, listen, God is committed to having a people among whom he can personally dwell. God is committed to having this temple because that's where he's going to dwell amongst his people. And so this year, 520 B.C., when this is being written, this can become a turning point for these people. They're going to hear the word. Consider your lives. What are your priorities? Are they aligned with God's? can read and find later they do repent it's a wonderful turning point in their lives and you know this same god the god who speaks is here today can you hear his prophetic question how can we align our priorities with god's how can you align your priorities with god's d.a carson in his book for the love of God says it this way. He says, the fundamental issue is not one of buildings, but of priorities. Our generation faces this challenge no less than any other. Why bother to ask God to bless us unless our priorities are conscientiously aligned with his? That will affect our conduct and speech, our pocketbooks and imaginations, our vocation and our retirement, where we live, and what we do, and how we do it. Everything in life radiates out 
from having our priorities aligned with God's. Jesus' ministry as king is about a complete realignment of priorities. If the lordship of Jesus Christ doesn't create this major disruption in your priorities, you're probably doing a religion of your own making. (laughs) His kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. So to get your priorities right, we put God first. See, what comes naturally to us by default is to put ourselves first. We seek our own kingdoms, not his kingdom. And so the upside-down way is to put God first. So Christ the king comes to reorient our priorities, and Christ the prophet calls us to consider our lives and to seek first his kingdom. So just, let's just pause for a moment just to consider right now, am I living a blessed life? Do I know this satisfaction that Christ promises his followers? What's your life look like? What's your heart experience look like? Maybe you find yourself in a, in a season of just seems like endless debt and unemployment and cars that keep breaking down. And Why is this? Well, it may just be that you're living in a fallen world and you're suffering like Job. And so the remedy there is trust God. Hang in there. Walk in fellowship with others. But it may be that a loving God is getting your attention. Priorities need some realigning. We just want to ask, God, help us see. How can we align our priorities with God? We want to begin by asking, where are they? What are our priorities? And the response then with our priorities, is simply this. We put God first. We put God first. You know what? The call in Haggai 1 is pretty simple. He says, look, go get some wood and start building. It's not that complicated. Get to work. Build the house. Now, again, just just pause with me for a moment and think about what's the big deal about the house? Why is God so committed to having this house. He says, if they will do this, this will bring him pleasure and he will be glorified in it. Why? Why is this? We need to remember what this God is like, this God that we love and serve. Do you remember back in the beginning of the story in Genesis? There's this wonderful phrase in the midst of the tragedy of Genesis 3 when God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And he calls out to his people, Adam and Eve. I love the picture of the fellowship that God designs and intends in paradise to have with his people. And you, if you know the story, you know that fellowship was broken. It was disrupted by Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. They're cast out of the garden. There's these cherubim with these flaming swords. They can't go back in. This fellowship is disrupted. But God won't leave things there. And so through... Abraham, he summons Abraham and he says, I'm, I'm going to have a, a people and I'm going to make myself known to them. And there are these wonderful promises that then begin to be uh, sent, sent forth by God. He says in Exodus, I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God. Well, how will he dwell among them? Where will he dwell among them? Well, he says, I want you to build this tent, this tabernacle. And in the middle of the people of, of Israel, 
God will be manifest in his presence. Now, God is, is omnipresent. He's everywhere. There's no place in the universe that can contain him. He made the universe, but he promises that he will dwell in a unique way amongst his people. And so when they build this tabernacle out in the wilderness and then they finish it, his glory comes. And then Solomon comes along later and he builds a bigger temple for God and his glory comes and fills that house. And so you can imagine the disaster it is for Israel when through their disobedience, God's judgment falls on the land and the temple is destroyed and the glory lifts from the temple. It's there no more. What does that mean? That means that God is not present dwelling amongst his people. So there they are over in Babylon. They say, oh, we want to be back in Jerusalem. We want to be in the city of God. The reason Jerusalem is so beloved isn't just because of its location, because of its altitude, isn't just because the king's there. No, it's because that's the place where God dwells with them. They long for that. And God longs for that. God designs that. God plans that. So he says, look, I want to dwell with my people. Build the house. Build the house. I'm going to have a place where I'm going to live amongst my people. And then Jesus Christ comes. He comes and tabernacles amongst us. as the new tent, the place where God dwells. Where do you meet with God when Jesus is on earth? You meet with God by encountering Jesus Christ. He says, he's the temple of God. He's the new temple. And then Christ dies and rises again and ascends to heaven. Where is the temple now? Where do you go on earth to meet with God? Where is the manifest presence, the dwelling place of God? Isaiah 66 says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And where is the place of my rest? How could any place encompass God. And yet it says in Ephesians 2, you, the saints, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy, see what it says? Temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Where's the house of the Lord? The house of the Lord is this human temple indwelt by the Spirit. It's called the church. That's the church universal in Ephesians 2 and 1 Corinthians 1. It's the church local. Do you not know that you, plural, speaking to the church, are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Can you see the vision? Why do we love church? What's so awesome about church? Church is the temple where the living God makes himself known and manifests his presence. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while my house lies in ruins? God is saying, hey, there's priorities here. My house before your house. There's a call in this passage to put God first. 
friend Vince has put together this little diagram that I've found helpful in many of you. He's probably done this with, with many of you as well. Just how, what does it look like for God to be first in our lives? What does it look like for our priorities to be aligned with, with God? Well, we put on Christ. We put Christ first. He's the Lord. He's in the center of everything. And radiating out, you could draw arrows into each of these these, these quadrants. So we have these different parts of our lives. We've got church and work or school, community, family, different seasons of life. Some of those quadrants are going to be bigger than others. But, but whatever is going on in our lives, it starts with loving God. It starts with God being first. It starts with Christ being the Lord of our lives. And everything radiates out from there. And so then we, with Christ first, then we love our neighbor as ourself in all these different spheres of our lives we find ourselves in. And this morning we're focused on that sphere of church, this shared life together. So there's a call here. Consider your lives. Is Christ first? Are our priorities aligned with his priorities? We could think about work, school, family, community. This morning we're focusing on church. And so I just I want to get real practical here this morning. What does it look like to put Christ first when it comes to life in the temple? Life in this living building indwelt by the Holy Spirit made up of these human beings who are the stones of the building. What does that look like? It's a building that's still under construction, isn't it? Not perfect. You need a hard hat. Right? There's permit signs all over the place. These buildings, they're not done yet. Great having these new members joining. They're all excited about joining the church. And that's great. I'm glad for that. But sooner or later, they're going to bump into the fact that they've just joined forces with a bunch of sinners and somebody's going to sin against them. And they're going to do something and not get credit for it. Or they're going to get credited for something that they shouldn't be getting credit for because they don't want to get credit for that. And, th- you know, it's just there's going to be conflict and. We need hard hats to live in this house, right? This building is still under construction. But it's a temple that's inhabited. Who lives in the house? Who lives in local churches? Who dwells there? Well, God and his tenants, right? Except his tenants aren't just tenants, it's his family. The reason member meetings are so great is because we're just talking about what Christ, the cornerstone, is doing amongst his family in a building like Redeeming Grace Church. So how does it work out? How do we prioritize life together in God's house? Well, I just uh, reached out to some members of the church this week and just asked them, how does this work for you? How, How do you prioritize with God's priorities? How do you keep your your priorities aligned with God's, especially when it comes to life together in the church. And I'm not going to give you names, but I just, just want to give you, I just learned some really great things. I was really inspired by, by, by all the replies that I got. I just want to highlight a few of them for you this morning. How, how do you align your priorities with God's? Here's the first thing to do. Just ask, right? Just ask. This person says, I try to make it a daily habit in my often abbreviated prayer time in the morning to ask the Lord to use me in whatever ways he wants. That's a great place to start. 
just a daily prayer. Lord, you're the boss. Center of my life doesn't say Mark. It says Jesus. How do you want to use me today? Here I am. Just ask. Ask how God might want to use you each day and how he might want to use you in a local church like this one. Here's one. Start where you are. Very simple. This person says, making church a priority has been through a series of commitments, each with consequences. As newlyweds, we visited the church, liked it, and went through the membership class, which at that time was 12 weeks. And all of you who went through that 12-week class and know people are coming through in three hours now, feel free to complain and feel bitter about that because it isn't fair, but that's the way it is, all right? We were, listen to, what, listen to what she says, though. We were fully committed to Christ, but in the class, we learned the importance of the local church. We joined the church, just like people are doing here today. And, and here's a phrase I really want you to hear. And made attendance at the Sunday service a high priority. We started attending a small group and began to serve and tithe. We made close friends in the church. Start where you are. Where are you today? Maybe you're newly married. Maybe you're in college. Maybe you're just getting started in the Christian life. What step might God be calling you forward to make? Maybe a step into membership. Or maybe a step, and I, and I just want to say on behalf of the leaders here, you know, one of the priorities for this church is this meeting. And Sunday mornings are under assault in our culture. It used to be birthday parties and softball games and all kinds of races and all kinds of things going on on Sunday mornings, but there are now, not to mention work and all the other things. Sunday morning is the only time of the week when we all get together as a family and sing and hear the word and have fellowship together. And so start where you are. Here's a third one. This has to do with giving. This person writes, from my first paycheck after college, the first time I had the chance to tithe, tithe means give 10% of your income. The word tithe is 10%. The first time I had a chance to do that as a new believer, I met with my pastor and asked him about tithing. Since that time into marriage, we have always given our tithe immediately out of our paycheck. It's been a blessing to give our tithe to each church that fed us through the years, and we've never suffered want once. It's the biblical principle of first fruits. Let, let me just pause here for just a second, because... What happens financially in church is different than what happens kind of in the rest of our lives, right? You want to join a gym, you shop around for the best deal, and you join the gym. But that's not quite how it works here, is it? You're not trading money for services. Like, we don't sell tickets on Sunday mornings. You know, if we did, the front seats would be the cheapest because nobody ever wants to sit up there. But, like, you don't pay extra for children's ministry when you come to church. We don't have premium days. Okay, here's the regular price, but if it's Easter, you got to pay extra to come to church, right? Christmas Eve, double, right? We don't, it's completely voluntary. We don't have any corporate sponsors. There's no signs, you know, in here. But we do hope every member of this church will invest financially in a substantive way in our shared mission. Whatever means God gives you grace and cheerful joy to do. So, priorities, financial, giving. How about 
this one. This was really inspiring to me. Just persist. Here's somebody who just has routines in his life that he persists in. He says, how do I keep my priorities aligned with God's? He said, I read about heaven and I think deeply about eternal issues versus heaven, eternal treasures versus heavenly, uh, eternal treasures versus earthly treasures. I read Randy Alcorn, who writes about these things. I read The Treasure Principle, a little book that Randy Alcorn wrote. He says, I read it on vacation every year. I want you to know I have never once thought about reading The Treasure Principle on vacation. But what a great opportunity to just stop and think about my life. This, this guy says, I, do the, I read that book at least one other time during the year, and I've recently purchased copies of that that I'm going to give to my children. There's a persistence. There's some routines. And, and the last one is, is just is just take a small step. Where, where are you? I just love the transparency. This person says, look, I'm a bit of an amateur in really living in community with other Christians. Up until the last four years, I've managed to mostly hang out on the fringes, doing just enough to give the appearance of being involved in community without really having to feel it. But over the past four years, God has pretty radically revised my understanding of what it means to live in community and why we should be doing it. So she says, we can overcomplicate community, or at least I know I can and often do. But I'm learning that it's very simple, not easy, but simple. Listen to what she says. This is wise. Small, consistent encounters and conversations that add up to relationship where we learn each other's needs and where we practice dying to self to help meet each other's needs. Isn't that good? Small, consistent encounters and conversations that add up to relationship where we learn each other's needs and where we practice dying to self to help meet each other's needs. The last thing I want to mention is just a number of the people just mentioned that they have these go-to scriptures that they just regularly review in their lives. And uh, if you uh, get the, the follow-up email to uh, this, this meeting, there'll be a list of 10 scriptures that were suggested by members that I think if you work through on your own, you'll find to be helpful. 520 BC was a turning point for these people in Jerusalem. God got their attention. They realigned their priorities with God's. Do you know, that same grace is here today. Today could be a turning point. If you find yourself realizing, I've been saying, this isn't the time. This isn't the time to get committed to church. This isn't the time to start giving or increase giving. This isn't the time to be investing in relationships. This isn't the time to even need to think about my, my, my priorities and, and where I'm going. You know what? There's grace here today. This can be a turning point. Life can be different for you tomorrow as a result. Just, I just want to encourage you, if God is at work in your heart, just humble yourself and respond to what he's showing you. If you're, if you're a new believer, here's an opportunity to get off to a good start with the priority of God's house, the local church. If you've lost your way, just humble yourself. Turn to God. There's grace for the humble. There's forgiveness in Christ. If you're not sure what God might be showing you, I just want to encourage you to just ask. Just ask, God, is there anything in my priorities that I just need realigning in? I, um, I so appreciated what Tyler said. It, it made me start crying, actually, when he just said, when he came back, the things that were important to us before, the things that are important to us now. 
that little drawing captures who we are. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd of this church. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of this church. Jesus Christ is our great Lord, our risen Savior, and our coming King. I want to live. I want to live for him. I want to run my race with Christ first. I want to finish my race with Christ, my vision. I need help doing that. I need you. I'm so grateful to be in a group of like-minded people running in the same way. And I'm so grateful to be around young people who are living that way, hungering and thirsting for that. So grateful for people in the next generation who are putting Christ first in all things, aligning their priorities with God's. I was thinking as I was working on the message this week, I was just thinking about this song from Lecrae called Don't Waste Your Life. Maybe some of you know this song. It's been for a number of years, really inspiring to me. And um, I just want to read a few lines now. If you want to hear the rest, after I dismiss the meeting in a few minutes, we'll play it. You can stay and listen to it. Here's what he writes. He says, you make a lot of money, hope you're doing it right, because the money is God's. You better steward it right. And stay focused. You ain't got no ride. Life ain't wrapped up in what you drive. The clothes you wear, the job you work, the color of your skin. Now you Christian First, people get to living for a job, make a little money, start living for a car. Get them a wife, a house, kids, and a dog. When they retire, they live in high on the hog. But guess what? They didn't ever really live right at all. To live is Christ, and that's Paul, I recall. To die is gain, so for Christ we give it all. He's the treasure you can never find in the mall. Amen? So, would you stand with me, please? That's your benediction. <laughs> to live is Christ, and that's Paul, I recall. To die is gain. So for Christ, we give it all. He's the treasure you can never find in the mall. As you go forth from this place, may the power of the Holy Spirit enable you to live for Christ and put him first. In all things. Now, in a moment, I'm going to dismiss you. Following the meeting, as we said, there's a member meeting downstairs. We call it a member meeting, but you don't have to be a member to come to the meeting. In fact, if you're a college student, if you're a new Christian, if you're a guest, just come. Fall in love with the church. Come and see what Christ is doing amongst us. So lunch will be downstairs. The meeting, we're shifting. The meeting is actually going to be downstairs as well. So just going to pray as we go so that you can go downstairs and eat without uh, the, the prayer being down there. Let's, let's pray. God's standing here in this room is a group of people who once lived in darkness, but we have seen a great light. 
Once our priorities were me, me, me. And we have encountered the risen Christ and the prophetic word to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. How can we thank you enough for that? And thank you that we're not doing this on our own. We're doing this in the company, the communion of saints, the fellowship of the believers, part of the great, holy, universal church that you've gathered us into. What a gift. We say thank you. As we receive this afternoon, for those who can make it downstairs for the food, the fellowship, and the meeting, we thank you for what we'll receive there, and we pray your presence and your blessing in Jesus' name.